0: You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5, Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Today, our guest is Dr. Mary Conway Datoan, who currently serves as a professor of international business and social entrepreneurship, as well as faculty director of the Global Links Initiative at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. And I'm here with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Melody Montgomery, MBA 2011, who's a serial entrepreneur and consultant, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, and I'm your host, Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone. Thanks, Clara. In a, Thanks, mo- <laughs> in a moment, we're going to listen to the Crummer Connections interview with Dr. Conway that was broadcast this past April. But before we do that, I'd like to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts on what the audience should listen for. So what do you think, Kyle? What should the listeners check out in this interview?
1: I may be biased because I had Dr. Conway as a professor, but she is uh, a very inspiring and solution-oriented member of the Crummer faculty. Um, And I think anybody who is interested in moving the needle through social change uh, will have several takeaways from this interview.
0: Thank you. Melody? Well, I went with uh, Dr. Conway
2: to the APADE program. So I know she's got a wide view of the world in terms of uh, gender norms and stereotypes and and changes in the workplace. So that's some of the things I'm listening for.
0: Awesome. Um, And what I'd like to add to that is that I really enjoyed how Dr. Conway throughout her career, was exploring every single step of the way and taking learnings from um, everything that she did, every single experience, and and turned that right away into learnings for her next step. Uh, So in the second half of the show, we're going to have Dr. Conway um, here with our panel to discuss her career in social entrepreneurship and how all of us can become more thoughtful consumers. So please stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. So the next thing you hear will be host J.B. Adams welcoming our guest. Let's get started.
3: Welcome to Crummer Connections Podcast series. I'm your host J.B. Adams. In this series, I'm talking with members of the Crummer community and inviting them to share their accomplishments, challenges, and best career and business advice. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Consistently ranked as the number one MBA in the state of Florida, the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to prepare you to become a global, innovative, and responsible business leader. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. Today's guest is Dr. Mary Conway Datuan, professor of international business and social entrepreneurship at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. She's the faculty director for the Global Links Initiative. She serves on the board of Rally, the social enterprise accelerator, where she contributes to the curriculum and mentors social entrepreneurs. She's also a visiting professor at Apade Business School in Mexico City. If you're a student or alumnus, you probably know her as the faculty member who accompanied you on an international business travel experience. And she also serves as the current faculty president at the Crummer School. Dr. Conway, Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you, thank you so much for having me, JB. It's lovely to be here.
3: It's great to have you. And I'm gonna start with the very last thing that I mentioned in your bio. You're not just the faculty president. You are in fact, the first female faculty president in Crummer's 60 year history. So tell us what that means.
4: Well, thanks for for recognizing that it is true. Um, But I wanna say being the first female faculty President is not so great because it's me. It's really tells you a little bit about our history at Crummer and it tells you a little bit about sort of where we need to go and what's going on. Um, The world, right, we're in a place of transition. So right now we've been through a lot of Black Lives Matter, but of course, right before that was a lot of issues around um, the Me Too movement, right? And so, just the stories about where are women leaders today and where are they going in the future, the fact that it's taken Cromer over 60 years to have its first female faculty member, have its first female dean, have a significant representation of female in the faculty, that says both where we have come, where we have come from, and where we are, are looking to. And I hope that being the first female faculty member serves as a role model For other faculty members, as well as for students who are coming through Crummer or who might come into Crummer.
3: Well, it says something to me about being a barrier breaker. And I'm just curious, do you think of yourself as a barrier breaker? And I mean, I have more to say about Mm -hmm. that, because I think we need barrier breakers all around us all the time. But I'm just curious if you identify with that.
4: Yes, I I often talk about, if I were interviewing, I would say that I have a very eclectic background, right? If I'm just speaking to friends, I would say that I don't fit neatly into any one box. And if I say that, let me give you an example. So I graduated, my PhD is in marketing, but I'm an international business professor here. But actually, I'm also a professor of social entrepreneurship. So Within the disciplines, right? When we look at business problems, we want to think cross disciplinary. That means we have to break down the barriers of the disciplines. And we have to break down the barriers if we want to create positive change in our world. We have to break down the barriers between corporations, governments, nonprofits, and just look at and say, there are problems to be solved. What skills and assets do you have to help solve those problems? And then just break down the barriers that exist that are keeping us from solving those problems.
3: But I would say that in this context, um, we're talking about fairness and representation, are we not? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's my connection to breaking down barriers is, we've seen a lot of it, I expect to see more of it. And, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to appeal to, it. if we had younger listeners who feel like, oh, this is, you know this is the world that we live in and it's not a big deal anymore, I think it's still a big deal.
4: Yeah, I would say it is still a big deal. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a big deal in business and, a, and, a, and it's a big deal moving forward. Um, and for me, the the what you might call the glass ceiling, right? The female barrier has been something that's been a part of me since I was a teenager, right? Um, when I interviewed for um, one of the magazines here, at the Rollins Magazine, they asked me, how did I become interested in women's empowerment through entrepreneurship and education and the global links program? And I said, well, you know, I've been a feminist since the 1970s, right? I was one of the first um, 100 subscribers to Ms. Magazine back in the day. Yeah. And um, so I guess that's part of who I am. And maybe that's a little why it's difficult for me to separate the b- barriers that I'm breaking because it's just kind of, um, who I am, right? And that means that I am probably more naturally testing, whether we call those barriers or glass ceilings. And I think that makes me approach problems differently, whether it's looking to recruit students, looking to recruit faculty, looking to answer problems that really connect to the community in the classroom, right? Is, are those barriers.
3: Yeah. And my interpretation would be this. If, if there are young people in business now who are thinking, you know, what's left, all the barriers have been broken. That is not true. (laughs) Lots and lots of barriers left to break. And, and it will take all of us.
4: Absolutely. I think that's a good way to to sum it up. And I thank you for that. Um, And I think it takes us, the young people working together with. Um, I I hate to call myself an older person, but let's call it that, right? The folks who have been around for a while because change happens within context and the energy that the students bring to the problems and the perspective that they bring is so beautifully augmented to someone who has the historical context and is willing to change, right? Because there are people who have historical context who aren't willing to change. So um, if we empower... Ourselves to change, and we empower the the young people or the incoming students to change. And I don't mean just young in terms of age; I mean young of experience in business or young. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um,
4: that, that, yeah, that then we can move forward. And um, but certainly, if I were a person of color, right? So we've had the first female faculty member. We've never had a person of color be a be a faculty president.
3: Yeah, that's that's coming. I hope so. Yeah, exactly. I hope yeah in our lifetime. I agree, um, and I also want to put this into the context uh, of you teaching international marketing and social entrepreneurship. Now, to some of our listeners, that might sound polysyllabic. So, I want to start by having you describe uh, what what is this, and you know how is it changing over time, such that you could explain where it was and where it's headed.
4: Okay, so can I tell you like how my journey and how I see those two things connected together?
3: Of course.
4: So, I mean, again, going back, I took my first overseas travel when I was 16 years old. Right. And um, that was really eye-opening for me, both in terms of my limitations and my, my moving forward. And so that international cross-cultural element of people, of myself, of the work that we do, um, has always been attractive to me and marketing for me is something we all do because almost some of our first memories are around consumption, right? And the things that we buy or the things that someone bought for us or the things that we ask for, for whatever our holidays are, where we're allowed to actually ask for gifts. And so I was, I think naturally drawn to think, well, how do different people in different cultures think about the stuff that they buy? Don't buy, have access to, or don't have access to. And to me, that's international marketing. Then, once I understood a little bit more about business, right, through education, then I said, well, what about all of those things from the managerial perspective, right? So, how does the decision to create a product or a service from the company, how is that influenced by that manager's lived experiences, that manager's culture, or that marketers' um, experiences within their country or across their country. And as I gained more and more exposure to that, and then I started to see different economic and socioeconomic uh, conditions in countries, I started to ask why, which I do a lot, why? Why do some people have access, others don't? Why is, is something more expensive in one country and less expensive in another country, right? And so that led me to look at inequalities, right? And I said, how can we use marketing knowledge and business knowledge to attack those inequalities? And so for me, that's what social entrepreneurship is. It's using business models, business approaches um, to create social wealth rather than only creating economic wealth. But with the recognition, right, that you have to have economic wealth to be sustainable, but without social wealth, economic wealth has no value. Is that too still too esoteric, or you think that makes <laughs> so, sense? I,
3: I I would give this interpretation, and I I would invite you to share an example. So the the example that comes to mind for me is, and this is from when I was younger, hearing about in the news if there was a manufacturer of shoes or apparel or something like something that people wear, that the people making the clothes and the shoes didn't have a living wage, right? I got cheap shoes. So maybe I don't care. But increasingly, there would be a public outcry of hey, if you buy this brand, you're contributing to, you know, uh, economic injustice. And there more and more people would say, I'm not going to buy this brand. So we've seen that over the course of my lifetime, that there's an expectation of fairness. And particularly now with younger generations, uh, millennials and, and Generation Z, really making buying decisions based on corporate social responsibility. They, they don't want to support brands that are oppressive.
4: Right. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to connect it. And the fact that you started with shoes reminds me of a couple examples, actually. So um, again, if you start with marketing, right, and it's a very individualized decision. So when I, as a consumer, right, I have some power that I can go to the market with. I have the dollars and I vote with my dollars. Mm -hmm. And so first I have to understand, I have to have some information, Right, I go into, I go to the shoe store and st- I have to have the information. And that's the beauty of what I would call globalization drivers, right? So all of the information we now have available through the World Wide Web and, and through blogs and actual videos that people are showing us. So we have, um, as consumers, we now have more information than we did before, so we can make more informed decisions. But we also have to understand what, who is the producer? of the items that I make Um, and how do I ensure, right? And so I started working a lot in fair trade. One of the things that um, is buried a little bit deeper in my resume is I I work, uh, I volunteered and was former president of the board for 10,000 Villages of Winter Park and 10,000 Villages of Cincinnati. And that's all fair trade organizations. And so the jewelry I wear, the clothes that I have, Right, I want to buy something that's not only going to make me look good, but it's going to make me feel good because my purchase has has um, provided a living wage. Is the word that I would use to the person in that place where it is
3: produced. So, if I may summarize a takeaway from what I'm hearing, social, uh, excuse me, uh, corporate social responsibility. International marketing and social entrepreneurship, which are your areas of expertise, are, are, are really boiled down to this. Do we care about our planet? And do we care about the people who live on it?
4: Yeah, yes, exactly. I think, um, yeah, ultimately we need to be conscious that our decisions influence not just ourselves but others as well, and those others might be far away or they could in fact be very close by. And so if we think more consciously, if we slow down a little bit and think more co- consciously about what we are purchasing, that ultimately um, we will make better businesses. And if we are managers, right, graduates of Crummer, and we're thinking this way, and we're actually bringing the mission of Crummer of forward, we're thinking about not only the prosperity of our business, but the prosperity of our community. And that community can be local or global.
3: Oh, exactly. So, so I would amend my summary to say, it's not just the people we know and it's not just the planet we see, it's beyond everything that's in our local neighborhood to the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Our guest is Dr. Mary Conway Datuan, and we'll be back in a moment to learn more about her professional journey. Stay with us.
1: Hi, my name is Brandon Anderson, an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergraduate was a complete immersive experience. When I was searching for the next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best option for me. Crummer has helped me to gain the aptitude and grow as a leader, which have both been essential in reaching my potential. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
3: Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm JB Adams. Our guest is Dr. Mary Conway Datuan, Professor of International Business and Social Entrepreneurship at the Crummer School. Now, before the break, we were chatting about social entrepreneurship, and uh, this segment is our opportunity to learn more about Dr. Mary Conway Datuan's professional journey. So I think a lot of students make assumptions about what it takes to make a professor, And the truth is that each professor's career journey is uniquely different. Uh, Tell us what's uniquely different about yours.
4: You know, um, I think I'm all about leaving options open. And so let me explain how I, I think that way and how that influenced my education. So actually my undergraduate degree is in international studies and Spanish. And I thought, I could go like into government. I could go into NGO work. I could work for the United Nations. Um, I could be a diplomat for my country, or I could be a professor at a university. So I want to pursue things that are going to leave options open. And and, and then toward my um, sort of senior year in college, I started playing with marketing, and I thought it was really interesting because it. it incorporates culture It incorporates psychology. It, it, it's how people make decisions, right, which I thought was really interesting. When I went to get my master's, um, I still said I got to leave doors open. I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. So I went to um, University of Denver in a combined program. It's called a Master's of International Management, which takes courses from an MBA and from the Graduate School of International okay. Studies. I got my master's degree. I thought I need to get some work experience. I don't want to go straight for the PhD. I need to, you know, just go out and test things. And I was fortunate enough to have some scholarships um, early on, but I thought let would work for a while. And so I worked for one of the big automotive industries. Right. Okay. And um, I got in there and I realized um, it wasn't gonna work. And I could tell you all sorts of stories about how I knew that, but I just decided to quit. And I toured Europe for a while. And um, I came back and this was, I moved into, I moved to Boston and at that time it was a really poor economic decision and i moved to boston and i would love at some time to talk about um, failures and how we overcome failures because oh yes like,
3: i love that, to talk about that
4: yeah because that was a big that was a big failure <laughs> but what happened is i found a job in japan didn't speak any japanese uh, and that's where i really learned um again, what, it, what it's like to be functionally illiterate. So education came again to be really important, mm-hmm. um, how to be open, how to, to uh, give up a little bit of control and all that. So I, so I did all of that in Japan and actually then moved to the Philippines and I worked in corporate again in the Philippines. Uh, and I would say, here's again, that ethical influence. So I, I worked in the mahogany wood and door joinery. Like not that I knew anything about that, but uh, it very was very
3: a- different from the automotive industry, I must <laughs> say.
4: Yes. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Still a very male dominated business that is really um, industry based, right? So it's a big factory. Oh, yeah. I said I didn't want to work in a factory, and here I am working for the factories. Um, and also a lot of ethical issues. A, and in that case, in the Philippines, because Philippine mahogany is a protected wood. Right? There were major ethical issues. And I was a foreigner working there in a Filipino company, um, helping them to expand internationally. And so I got this really good experience of what is it like to sell from one country to another? Um, and again, always stories, lots of really interesting stories there. But I said, you know what? I need to go back to education. And I need to think about where I can make a contribution that has a positive outcome. Um, And so that is what led me to that connecting of marketing and the international and all of those experiences um, that that came about. So yeah, you're right. You said each professor's career journey is uniquely different. Um, I think mine is really different.
3: So that helps us understand how you became Dr. Mary Mm -hmm. Conway Datuan. If you could summarize your career philosophy in a In a single statement, I don't know, in a few short statements, what would you say your career philosophy is? What's the takeaway?
4: So I think my career philosophy, two things I would say about myself is I like to pivot and I like challenge and I like change. And so because I haven't put myself in one box, pivoting, challenging, changing is kind of what I'm about. And it's, if you took a class from me, I would ask you to do the same thing. Challenge some viewpoint that you already have, pivot, to another viewpoint, figure out why one, what we you know, what each contributes, and um, and make a contribution. At the end of, at the end of it, education is about problem solving. So mm-hmm. figure out what problems you're good at solving and apply your education to solve those problems. We don't graduate like, oh, I have an MBA or oh, I I, ma- I concentrated in finance. So hire me because I have a finance concentration. No, hire me because I can solve problems that involve the skill set of finances. Mm -hmm. And so companies have financial problems. They have marketing challenges. They have HR challenges, right? And the communities have those challenges. So what skills am I learning that help me to solve problems? Uh,
3: I can reinterpret that easily. What you just said is true everywhere, all the time, universally. You function to solve someone's problem. And once you know what your skill set is so that you can solve some kind of problem, then you're marketable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you also provided an excellent transition to our next segment, which is about the courses that you teach and what students should expect from them. So earlier I mentioned that you teach courses in international marketing and social entrepreneurship. And there are many students and alumni listening right now who know you as the professor who took them on an international (laughs) travel experience to study business. And I know that it's a little tricky right now because we have a pandemic. And so some of the travel isn't happening and that that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, my condolences go out to the, some of the current students, Mm -hmm. but I hope they get some kind of experience um, that is worthwhile for studying international business. What's your philosophy on teaching business and what should a student expect in your courses?
4: So um, I I don't know if you're going to like this, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit. um, Challenge me. Because that actually is also what I do in the class. Like if you ask, what is Dr. Conway in the classroom, they're gonna, the students are gonna say, She'll, she will challenge you, right? So somebody challenge you. Um, because you said, I wanna give condolences to the folks who can't travel. So I wanna acknowledge as someone who's traveled to over 50 countries um, in the world and done a lot of things, it is a lifestyle, it is a beautiful thing. It opens windows and doors for you. My question, and going back to that ability to change and challenge and pivot, is what are those students doing now? Because no one in the world is traveling. So what technologies are opening our eyes and windows? What um, what can we do to leverage what we have uh, at the risk of being a little PhD, what I would call effectuation theory, right? Take around what I have, what is working with me and make those experiences happen um, they're going to be different, mm-hmm. um, but they can still be valid, right? And they can still open your minds and your windows and your doors. And, and so change ultimately has to start with you. And so what are you doing to challenge and change yourself? Right, and so certainly we've had to pivot. You mentioned Global Links, right? That's a program that's really based in in relationships, mm-hmm. and we bring folks over from in India and from Brazil, and we ourselves go to India and Brazil along several several courses. And so we had to pivot to an online space. And how do you maintain those relationships in an online space? How do you have fun in a, in an online space, right? And share those. Um, what matters to you so so I know your question was about philosophy of teaching and and ultimately I would say that is a challenge but you having said that um, because I don't think I mean we're, I don't think it helps to sit around and say oh I miss the days when I could fill in the blank right um, I miss the days when I could run an eight minute mile
3: well what can I say right <laughs> well I think you just connected the the dots for me and you just did de- you just demonstrated your philosophy in this way. We just got done saying that everyone needs to know how they solve a problem, and uh, you took my intentional question, which I set up intentionally. No, I didn't really, but you, you took it in a in a direction such that if the problem is we can't travel but we still have the expectation of providing an educational experience, then we have to find a novel new way of mm-hmm. providing a similar or adjacent experience that accomplishes these objectives, but with without the travel.
4: Right, and both of those things take resources. So what we had to do in some of our federal grants is reallocate the resources that we would have spent to travel to mm-hmm. enable, right? This is gonna connect really well with what we were saying before. Because we assume my Wi-Fi connection is really strong, your Wi-Fi connection is really strong. Therefore, everyone in the world must have that access mm-hmm. to a Wi-Fi and to a computer that they can do these things on. And so what we did is took all the money that we would have used for travel, and we bought everyone who's participating in the program a kind of the, the word that they use in India is a booster mm-hmm. so that they can not use their own data, that they can be on their own network. Um, and and have a strong enough signal to maintain the relationship that we're seeking to to develop. So I think it causes us to relook at the way we are expending our resources and the way we are expending our time. And that was like literally a monetary way that we said, all right, if we wanna do it this way, then we need to reallocate uh, our resources and we need to re-educate ourselves, right? There's not a professor in the world who is not re-educating themselves about how to teach. And there's not a student in the world who's not re-educating themselves about how to learn.
3: Uh, Strong messages, uh, not only about problem solving, but also about stepping up to the challenge. Dr. Mary Conway-Datuan, I want to thank you for joining us on the Crummer Connections and sharing your story. It's been a great pleasure.
4: Thank you, Jamie. I've really had a good time.
3: Thank you. Will you come back again? Oh, absolutely. You can tell I have lots of stories to tell. (laughs) We will have you back again. Thank you. Thanks.
0: This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Dr. Mary Conway Datawan to get her responses to questions submitted by you, our listeners, and Crummer students and alumni. You're listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida.
2: Hi, I'm Guy Fagan, an Early Advantage MBA student at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergrad at Rollins College was incredible. I took every opportunity to get involved on campus. I joined the Cap Excellence Fraternity, and I was also a member of the Varsity Men's Tennis Team. Crummer has an amazing reputation in the area, so it was a
1: no-brainer. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit cromer.rollins.edu.
0: In today's Crummer Hour, we're talking with Dr. Mary Conway-Dadoan. She is a professor of international business and social entrepreneurship at the Crummer Graduate School of Business, and she also serves as the faculty director of the Global Links Initiative. In the first half of the show, we heard Dr. Conway describe the importance of international marketing, her career in social entrepreneurship, and how all of us can become more thoughtful consumers. So now in the second half of the show, we have her here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio to have her respond to the questions that were are by Crummer students, faculty, and alumni. Dr. Conway, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Great to hang out with folks that I haven't seen for a while, either physically <laughs> and in some cases, virtually. So good fun.
0: <laughs> oh, it's awesome to have you back. Um, and also with us, we have our panel of Crummer alumni, student, alumni and students, which includes Melody Montgomery, serial entrepreneur and consultant. Hello. Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37.
1: Thank you, Clara, as always.
0: And as always, I am Clara Mount, MBA 2020. All right, Uh, so just jumping right on in. Our first question is about women in business. Um, As you mentioned in your interview, you've been a feminist since the 1970s. And I'm really curious to know, how has feminism evolved since then?
4: Um, Well. (laughs) Has it really, or has society evolved um, since then? No, I, I think um, I thank you for asking that because, as you mentioned, uh, some folks are afraid of the word feminism, but I think feminism has, ooh, dare I say this phrase, kind of opened our tent a little bit. So, what I mean by that is in the 1970s, a lot of the leadership was done by white women rather than women of color um, or rather than alongside with women of color. And actually mm. Time did an awesome um, kind of live enacted role that emphasized the, the uh, parts that women of color played in feminism, particularly in the United States and Canada um, in the early 60s and even some cases going back to the suffragettes. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think that's really interesting, but that's what I think has kind of evolved and maybe over time a little bit less radicalness because of societal changes. That would be my opinion. I can, you know, give you some citations and stuff like that as well, but that's my opinion.
0: When you say societal changes, what kind of changes are you noticing that play into that?
4: Well, I mean, Although, you know, since, as soon as I say I've been a feminist in 1970, everyone's like, well, she's old. So, but if I go back actually before I was born, right, I would mm-hmm. say in, if I look at the role of my mom and like look like here in the United States in the early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, women could not open bank accounts. Women could not have their own mortgage. Right. Wow. So, Yeah.
2: So, so, whoa,
4: right? Yeah. But society has changed in that regard. And I Mm -hmm. think people forget some of those really important base level equal rights, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, that that have come about since then. So that's just like two examples that that I can think of. There was also a lot of prohibited – oh, you guys will love this one – Prohibited <laughs> jobs for women mm, because yep. we needed to quote protect them. So, so one of my favorite ones is um, the women could not be bartenders unless their father, their father, husband, or elder son owned the bar.
0: That's crazy. Because now I'm thinking, when we go out, most bartenders are women. <laughs> Think that <laughs> way? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Usually, they make better drinks too.
0: <laughs> They've got a taste. Absolutely. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Kyle.
1: Hey, Dr. Conway, I think yeah. that allyship is a pretty important piece to all of this. How do you think men in the workforce today can be better allies for women?
4: I, I, I thank you for asking that. And I, I, if I can, I want to talk about three different parts of, of allyship. First of all, like what is allyship? Because it's not just men for women, right? Allyship should happen at two levels. For any minority or someone who's underrepresented, we should be sensitive enough to know that their experience in the room, quote unquote, might be different than the majority culture's or the majority uh, person's, you know, experience in the room. At the same time, if you are of a minority, so staying with women, right, allyship is also about women supporting women. Right. And and again, understanding it's not as one woman rises, I can't rise. Instead, right, um, it's we rise together by supporting each other and looking out for each other. Uh, but I want to tell you about one other thing, and then I want to give you some tips. So I said three things. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the other is, are you familiar Kyle, with this thing called he for she?
1: I don't think I am. Uh, it
4: comes out of the United Nations, right? Uh, United Nations Women, United Nations Equity for Gender Equality, Empowerment Women, blah, blah, da. But it's really cool, right? What it basically is, is a movement. And it talks about exactly that, how men can be allies for women in their different elements of, of equality, because what I might need inequality here in the United States could be very different than what an Indian woman needs, or a Brazilian or Pakistani or, you know, fill in the blank in another country. Mm-hmm. And so it has this really beautiful scope. And my, my challenge, cause you know, I love to put out a challenge would be, I would love to see Crummer have a chapter or a club, right. Of he for she, because there's action steps and there's real specific things that, that, that the, the group gives us, um, if we become a club. And then we do inform ourselves as well, right? The, the third thing is I wanna give a couple tips to men if I can about um, allyship. Yeah. The first thing is listen actively. And when I say that, I mean, don't assume that you know how to help. And that's true for any majority to minority, right? Don't assume that you know how to help. Listen actively and ask questions before you offer uh, help, right? The second is to read the room. By that, I mean, understand the nuances. And um, I'll give you an example. And um, Kyle, I haven't seen you work in your in your groups, but here would be an example, right? Most of our groups at Kramer have men and women in the group. So avoid talking over others and allow for pauses. And so... I, I just, add, like the next time you're in a group, just watch the conversational patterns. Is there quote unquote mansplaining going on in the group, right? Or are um, are we allowing uh, that nuances and pausing and being aware of conversational patterns and who might be attempting to dominate? And that could come from a male-female relationship. It could also come from um, different cultural conversational patterns, like how much silence should we have before we start in, And the third tip I would give is that work together to advance the whole. So that goes back to the allyship of women for women, and he for she.
1: All great tips. Yeah, those are definitely ones I'm gonna have to pass along to my fellow colleagues at Cromer. And uh, Mm -hmm. that would be great. Well, I'll have to I'm starting my second term uh, this fall. So might have to get a he for she chapter started at Cromer. That'd be great.
0: That would be an awesome legacy, Kyle. (laughs) Um, Our next question comes from Melody.
2: So the um, COVID impact on employment has disproportionately impacted women, especially women that have children that were now doing school from home. How do you see companies and families continue to support both parents uh, in this new kind of working environment with people now working from home and those lines of Work-family boundaries kind of blurring.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's a really timely question, Melody, and one that um, is is a red hot button right right now. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, just this morning on the Global Links Initiative LinkedIn page, I posted a um, report from Kaufman, the Kaufman Foundation, which really looks at entrepreneurship, um, and they speak about this exact phenomenon. Um, and so I encourage you to go out and, and sort of check that nearly four times as many women as men, according to that Kaufman study have dropped out of the labor market since, since September of 2020 and nearly 216,000 men left the labor market, but 865,000 women left the market. So the a significant majority of jobs lost were from women. Right. And um, how do it's, so, so I love that we're saying like in response to COVID, at the same time, these inequalities existed before COVID. And so it's the same way we look at racial disparity. If the inequality exists and a crisis happens, those who are on the bottom end of that equality are like, it's like a one-two punch, right? They they already had this below average um pay wage right comparing white men to white women or white men to to women of color and then a crisis comes whether it's a financial crisis of 2008 or this covid and so the sustainable path forward is for the entire co- economy to reach equity right in in access support and funding right for entrepreneurships too and then we can t- see how we react to crises
0: That's a wonderful response. Um, Definitely checking out that study later. (laughs) Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Our next set of questions is about international business. And um, our next question comes from Melody.
2: So what are some ways that we, uh, you know, as professionals can continue to improve our understanding of other cultures? I know sometimes my experience as Americans are very kind of America-centric. And, uh, you know, I think as the world continues to be interconnected, you know, how can we be better with understanding cultures, how businesses, how, you know, relationships uh, with other cultures? Mm-hmm.
4: mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really appropriate question now, Melody, as well, because we're interacting in ways that we predominantly haven't interacted before, right? And, and my first uh, way or tip, if I could say it, is get out of the building. <laughs>
2: What does
4: that mean? <laughs> yeah, get out of your comfort zone, get out of the building. So, you know, we whether it's the beautiful campus we call Crummer or whether it's like I've lived in Florida my whole life or I've lived in the United States my whole life is get out of your comfort zone, leave the building. It's the same thing we say when in social entrepreneurs like to build empathy, you have to put yourself out there and you have to take risks. And there are ways, right now there's great phenomenon in tourism um, which is um, a tourism that will put you in with local communities rather than the five-star hotel. Like a lot of people say to me, oh, but you go to India and you stay at the Ritz. Like, uh, no, I stay in an apartment <laughs> in a complex with a bunch of other Indians who basically for the first three weeks that I'm there go, who is that woman, right? Who is she? What is she doing here? <laughs> um, so leave the building, leave the hotel, right? Leave that, of course, in a safe way right in a, in a safe way and and get uncomfortable so I'd love to hear from you guys actually because I used to have this assignment and I haven't done it at crummer so I don't know if I should but in my <laughs> international marketing class so you guys can tell me I used to um it was an assignment where students had to go and put themselves in a minority situation so you had to be in your case Kyle like the only guy in a room like right now you're kind of the only guy in the room, but like stay there through some activity or go to a Sikh temple, right? Or go to a Hispanic grocery store. Um, and understand what it feels like to have everyone in the room, turn around and go, who's she, who's he, why is he here? What's his agenda? Right. Because you're the only one. And what are you doing here? Right. Um, and and then process that. And I used to let students do it in pairs because sometimes being the only one can be a little, you know, intimidating. So, like, all right, bring a friend. <laughs> right? um, but the learning that comes from that is is so awesome. And because going back, Melody, if you don't speak the language, right, I, I've never understood this. People are like, I think they're talking about me. I'm like, really? That's <laughs> incredible egoism. <laughs> they are not
0: talking about you. Right? Well, they well, are well, not well. talking about you. Oh, that's awesome advice.
1: Yeah, what a great exercise. I really hope you get to do that next term.
0: You are listening to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is Crummer professor, Dr. Mary Conway Datoan, and we will continue our conversation with her in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry.
1: For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
0: Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer professor, Dr. Mary Conway Datawan. And with us, we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Dr. Conway Datawan's career. Our next question is about corporate social responsibility and that comes from Kyle.
1: Dr. Conway, you you care very much about how everything you purchase is created. And you actually shared a story in your Crummer Connections interview with JB about uh, these shoes in Bangladesh. And we unfortunately had to cut that story. Could you share that with us?
4: So, as you mentioned, I try to be like, no one is perfect. Consumers by nature are inconsistent. Um, but I try to be really conscious of the things that I buy. And I think that I'm like, oh, so enlightened, right? That I understand the situations. And so I had this opportunity to go to Bangladesh. Um, and we, Went to a shoe factory, and this woman had said to me how proud she was of the conditions in her factory. So we walk in, as I say, it's it's there's no air conditioning. And um, so I look in this room and there's six guys sitting there and they're making sandals. So they're putting the the leather sole that would meet your foot onto, if you will, the rubber sole that would meet the road. And two things just blew me away. One is It was just a can of epoxy that they had cut the top off of. And this guy was dipping his bare hand into the epoxy and slathering it on to, you know, the leather and the rubber and then pushing it together. And the guy next to him was, uh, uh, how would you call it, like C-clamping it, right, to hold it Mm -hmm. together. So I was like, oh my gosh, is that raw epoxy? That is like, oh my gosh. And of course, the room smells really, really strong. Very limited innovation. and then I look deeper in the room, and hidden a little bit around the corner is a boy who, in my estimation, looked. And I did ask the other local I was there with, "How old do you think he looks?" And they said, 10 He's about ten years old. So I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Right? He is he, a kid. Um. So okay, you know, trying to be in a place. What I mentioned before: self-reference criterion. Let's not judge. Let's understand the situation. Right. Like so then we go upstairs, and it's the women who are sewing, and um. She was really proud of herself and her treatment of the women because of two things. Well, number one, she let the women go home during the day to go to the bathroom. <gasps> and I was like, what? She said, well, yeah, there's only one toilet in the house, right? And you can't have men and women using the same toilet. So I allow them a break that is long enough. I can't remember how many times she said once or twice a day to go home and go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, okay. And then she said, and I don't fire them once they start mencing. And I was like, what? She was like, oh, you know, there's a lot of unpredictable. Or once they get married, I let them come back to work once they get married. So these are like really basic things that she was a cut above, no pun intended, but like she was doing a, a much better job and was really proud of that. And so I thought, you know, I need to be even more informed and really understand um, the, the process and become closer to those makers. It would have been really easy for me to be super judgmental and think that I knew how to fix that situation, but instead sitting back and saying, okay, why, why is that young man there, that young boy there? What are the alternatives? What can we do to work around some of the realities that are there and eventually move her um, to construct a second bathroom so that women don't have to traipse across town to provide uh, feminine hygiene, right? Things like Mm -hmm. that. But, what we did is worked through the folks who we knew in Bangladesh, particularly around that young boy who was 10. And we said, uh, we suggested and put together a sort of plan for her to be able to rotate because it's really easy for me as an American and a and a you know a, a middle-income, all of Americans like to call themselves middle-income no matter how much they make, right? A middle-income <laughs> person um, mm-hmm. to it oh my God, child labor, blah, blah, blah. And it is horrible. But if that boy didn't get to work, what are the, ramifications. And so we said, look, school has two shifts. So part of his employment is that he would bring back his, his stamped note from school saying I had gone to school in the morning. Here's now I can work in the afternoon and vice versa, because it turned out there was no one else generating income in his family. Oh,
0: wow. So it would have been
4: really easy for me to say, Child labor is horrible, you can't do it. And boy, I would have wished that I could have, right? I do believe that. But I Mm -hmm. but instead we said, okay, let's think about how you we can get brushes for the epoxy, and let's think about how we can substantiate that these younger, because there was a 10-year-old and probably a 14 or 16-year-old, that they're going to school either in the morning shift or the afternoon shift. Mm -hmm. And so we said, you know, make that part of the employment. For them to stay employed, they have to come in with that stamp that says I was at school when I wasn't in the work shift.
0: Our next question comes from Melody. So uh, in your interview, you talked about a living wage
2: and corporate social responsibility. So how do you see this upcoming proposed change in minimum wage in terms of its impact on employees, but also on what that will mean for the cost impact on consumers and companies?
4: Um, So I'm going to use the term I used before, Melody. I'm going to say, show me the data. And uh, they did this study around the restaurant industry in particular. And they found that in those states, once the mandate came, that they have a $10 or um, more an hour, uh, the revenue, neither the revenue nor the profits decreased. So the, the Olive Garden operating in because Darden was one of and God love we I love Darden I love Darden um, one of the you know Olive Garden you could compare them right the Olive Garden mm-hmm. here in Florida to the Olive Gardens out there and and there was not a negative impact either in revenue which means sales which means the customer right nor in um, in the the profit so let's do some studies let's do some data. Right, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and think that through, and then you know, my this is just my personal philosophy, and it goes back to the makers and with the shoes. It's like I want to understand the life of the person, right? It's it's shameful that the majority of w- restaurant workers are on, in, in my vernacular, in the day we used to call food stamps, right? That right. are uh, uh, so they're working with food all day long, and then they don't have money to feed their families. That just doesn't seem right to me. And Mm -hmm. so I think through how might I change where I'm eating and what I'm doing and that, you know, goes out to my shopping for goods and things like
0: that. Um, Our next question is about your personal and professional development and it comes from Melody.
2: So you mentioned kind of educating uh, yourself about different uh, areas Are there books or resources that you thought were helpful or transformative to kind of understanding international business or or corporate social responsibility? Yes. Can you elaborate? Oh, you want <laughs>
4: to? <laughs> I mean, I'm a nerd, right? So um, there are definitely books that... Here, I'll give you... Sitting right next to me here. Here's one of my new favorite books. It's uh, called the six new rules of business creating real value in a changing world. And it's by Judy Samuelson. And it's very good, very readable, very approachable. Um, and, and it helps me like uh, both as a teacher or a professor, but also thinking as a practitioner, what are the principles that drive our business? What are the assumptions that drive our business and how might those change the other book that's sitting right next to me, um, which I'm loving because here we're starting to connect with other aspects of business, which is, um, impact investing. Mm. So, um, this is edited by Paul, uh, Herman, or it goes by R. our Paul Herman, who's come to Crummer twice actually to talk to us way back when everyone thought I was crazy and what the heck is impact investing, right? <laughs> um, now it's ESG and we've got Dr. Um, Simsek, right? Teaching us a lot about ESG and that, but this is, super comprehensive solving global problems be via smarter capital markets so again it's that um connection to there um, and i think too these are like recent books that i've read that mm-hmm. helped me to shift um, some of my thinking or deepen my understanding there's a book that's called who who can who can you trust and it looks at this whole idea of, again, information, where we get information. Let me tell you who the author is a second. Rachel Botsman. Rachel Botsman. Who can you trust? How technology brought us together and why it might drive us apart. Mm. Ooh. There are some great quotes in there. And I'm just going to give you one more because obviously, Melody, I could just like keep you here all day. <laughs> um, I am a nerd. I recognize this. Um and I think it's really appropriate for our students because, you know, um, Kyle, you mentioned design thinking. So I um, I teach the design thinking class, which I just love. Um, and there's a book called Designing Your Life. Oh, that's I love a great that book. One. I've read
0: that. Yay! I just finished it a few weeks ago. <laughs> it's right? so, so good. It's,
4: yeah, and especially because I think, Clara and Melody, when you were in the course, we didn't have the design thinking class. Mm-mm. Right. And so if you had the design thinking class, I believe that this book would be even more impactful because it builds on the concepts of design thinking that you're Mm -hmm. getting from the class. And so you kind of can read it with an even uh, more level up. But, uh, I I think it's a very practical book for students who are deciding like, not students, people
0: deciding
4: (laughs) what their next step is and, um, our dysfunctional beliefs versus our functional beliefs. So I'm glad you guys have read that one.
0: Yes. Thank you for recommending it. So we're bringing the session to a close. And our final question is about your closing message. So what would you like to say to the Crummer community? I know, big question.
4: (laughs) I want to say something that might sound a bit too much like a commercial, but it really is what I believe Mm -hmm. And that is, um, stay connected, right. And stay connected with your classmates, reach out to know the other classmates, Mm -hmm. um, with your faculty, with your staff, because it's that connection and that, um, again, I don't want to use the word networking because that seems too, uh, commercialized, but the relationships, Mm -hmm. that's what I want to say. Stay connected with the relationships that you make at crummer and find ways to expand the relationships that you already have at crummer because it's through those relationships and your willingness to connect your friends and family with other friends and family connected to crummer that helps us all to grow so that that would be i don't know that it was succinct enough but that would be my takeaway (laughs) message i have to work on the actual slogan delivery of it (laughs) but that would be it right um find the relationships, keep the relationships, maintain and expand the relationships that Crummer has has given you.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. So with that, I want to say Dr. Mary Conway Datoan, Professor Professor of International Business and Social Entrepreneurship, as well as Faculty Director of the Global Links Initiative. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Crummer Hour. I would also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business, Melody Montgomery and Kyle Sawyer. I really appreciate y'all being here.
1: My pleasure. This was super. Yep, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's Crummer Hour has been brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, responsible, innovative business leader. To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform or visit our website at victormediagroup.co. Today's show was hosted by Clara Mount and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell and J.B. Adams with sound editing by Erin Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Greg Golden, Director of Student Media at Rollins College, and the entire team at WPRK, as well as Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Crummer Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. This is Clara Mount, and until next time, Fiat Lux.